Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the of Lawrence Talks, a podcast dedicated to exploring local events and introducing philosophical and humanities topics to the general public. I am your host, David Tamez. Today, we continue our coverage of state and local elections. I would like to welcome a Democratic candidate for District 2 of the Douglas County uh, Commission, Nancy Thelman. Nancy, thank you for joining me today. David, thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation to have this conversation. Looking forward to it. Of course. And, and so I'd like to begin the, this conversation, as I normally do, uh, by talking about you, the person, uh, who Nancy Thelman is. Uh, you've been part of the D Douglas County Commission for uh, since 2009, uh, is, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that may, comes out to about 11, 11 or 12 years. Um, but there might be new voters uh, in this election. So I want to uh, at least give them a, an opportunity to get a sense of who you are um, in, your, in the experiences and, and sort of generally the, the values that you bring to, to the position. Um, and so in, in essence, asking who, uh, who Nancy Thelman is the person is here. Sure. Well, so I'm uh, 62 years old. Um, I was born and raised in Lawrence, came up through the, uh, through the public schools and uh, uh, graduated of Lawrence High School when there was only one high school <laughs> way back when. I also graduated from the University of Kansas with a Bachelor of Science in Nursing and did my training in, at KU Med Center where I stayed on for the next eight years as an ICU nurse. That's where I met my husband, Scott. He's a um, plastic surgeon. Uh, we, when we uh, married, we moved immediately to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, to Vanderbilt University, where he did a very long uh, surgical residency. And that's where I had a change in career in Nashville. I switched from nursing uh, and went to the um, Vanderbilt Divinity School and received a master's in divinity. And what was great about that school was that it was interfaith, interdenominational, uh, very progressive, and was just an absolute oasis in life for three years with new ideas and, and, and kind of wide open thinking. Um, so I really loved that new chapter in life. And so then uh, after that residency was finished, we moved back to Lawrence to raise our family, be close to grandparents, and uh, have since moved to the second district, which is, uh, I live in Grant Township. Uh, we have a small family farm, which was meant to be a quiet country place to live, and it turned into an actual bustling working farm, uh, thanks to my uh, oldest son, Scott Delman, who is a full-time farmer and entrepreneur, and just is um, growing, uh, growing his farming business every day um, for local and regional food distribution and, and growing a good portion of that on his own land. So I, again, I, I've lived here in the second district for 20 years. Um, I know it very well. I know both those uh, folks who are in town in Lawrence. I know the folks who are in the rural parts of the district and um, through, especially through my work with um, farming and, and local food and work with the Farm Bureau. Uh, then I, I know the, the district sweeps, it goes from North Lawrence through East Lawrence and Southeast Lawrence, and then sweeps up in uh, all of Eudora and all of Baldwin City. And I've really grown to love Eudora and Baldwin City. I work with those folks closely, uh, know them well, and uh, I'm really proud to represent 
a couple of our small towns in Douglas County. So in terms of the things that have driven me, what drove me to be a county commissioner was uh, in 2007, I learned uh, that there would be, there, were, there was a proposal for a thousand acre industrial complex that was going to be built on some of the finest farmland in Douglas County. And that woke me up. So I, with the help of a neighborhood leader in North Lawrence, Ted Boyle, and some other neighbors uh, organized the Citizens for Responsible Planning, uh, which started a multi-year effort to um, defeat that proposal, in which, and we were successful. In the, in the midst of that, I realized how important it was to have a voice on the county commission that represented rural interests, uh, not just uh, the city interests. And so, so I ran for county commission and I won. And um, with that started a almost 12 year uh, run on the commission. And just a little bit more, uh, the initiatives that I have been responsible for in this nearly 12 year time, I, uh, open the sustainability office prior to my term, there was no sustainability coordinator. So we got that going with a real emphasis on, on uh, local food and uh, energy um, conservation and attention to climate uh, change mitigation. So um, I led the effort to start the county's food policy council. It was the first food policy council in the state and that's been a remarkable group who've really helped um, shape our food system plan, work on food security. It's a model for the state. Uh, other food policy councils have come up over the years and have used ours uh, as a mentor. I uh, started the e-community program, brought that in from Network Kansas to do gap funding for our small communities as the, for startup businesses so they can build up their own economies. Started the Heritage Conservation Council which is a grant funding program to really invest in those parts of Douglas County that we don't want to lose. So uniquely valuable land, uh, historic sites, stories, special attention on folks who are sometimes left behind. So uh, attention to our African-American landowners and uh, special um, places and certainly the Native American population of the uh, Haskell wetlands and uh, sovereign lands in Douglas County. And, then the behavioral health work that we're doing, I'm the lead commissioner on the behavioral health initiatives, helped start the Behavioral Health Leadership Council and um, am the lead commissioner on the behavioral health campus, which includes the crisis center as well as um, transitional and permanent housing. And lastly, and this is something I've really been building on for these last 12 years and hope to really, really make, make it real is um, an open space plan for Douglas County which requires a lot of background work, a lot of planning, a lot of public process. But I think we're ready to create the entire county that recognizes um, special lands, special places, uh, to look at them as natural infrastructure and to, um, and to see where our future parks and trails will be so that we don't lose them as we grow. So it's a forward thinking way to, to value our earth, work on climate mitigation, carbon sequestration, all, all of that natural flood prevention. It's a really important thing to do. And that would be at the heart of some of my work in this fourth term, if I'm lucky enough to get through. Sorry, that, I, that was very long. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I mean, I, I want to get to, just for full context, initially contacted you and or generally the, the commission uh, about a few months ago to uh, get 
get the full side or get the other side of the gel expansion issue. We were unable to have a conversation or meeting at that time, given given the open lawsuit that was going on at the time. So we're, now I, I, I think we're we're in the clear to to have such a discussion, even though much of this conversation is going to be centered on the gel expansion issue. I'd also like to uh, get to general uh, questions about uh, your approach to the role of county commission and what you what you see as as your main ways of going about and, and fulfilling that role uh, now and going and going forward. Like I said, I'd like it, I'd like to eventually get to those those questions as well, just to get a full the full picture, get the full picture of your candidacy here. So with that being said, start with I guess before the vote, the initial vote in 2018, which I, I believe occurred in in May of 2018. Which, which was the ballot that included both the jail expansion and the inclusion of mental health policies or into into that, that single policy. That vote, or that was voted down, the jail expansion was voted down in 2018. But before that, there was, if I'm not mistaken, just a general attention or call to evaluate the state of the jail at the time. Could you take us through at least the commission side of that initial lead up to to that ballot 2018 what what was the call or what was what were the reasons leading up in, from your from your side from the commission side that called attention to the state of the jail it's yeah it's a long story i'll try not to go on and on and on you know when the when the 1 cent sales tax was passed back in 94 it included funding for a new county jail and the one the jail we have uh, now, 20 years later, it was funded with that uh, sales tax. And the jail they built was expected to last, the projections for the, that facility, the one we have now, was expected to be adequate for um, 10 to 15 years. So it was built with the expectation that the mission would grow to the point where it would no longer uh, meet the needs of the community. And so over time, there were uh, before I was on the county commission, so back before 2009, once or twice the sheriff, Sheriff McGovern, approached the county commission to remind them of the fact that the capacity of the jail was going to become an issue. And that's when the county commission asked him to create a program called a reentry program inside the jail that would help, help care for the men and women who were in the jail uh, with the idea that if they got counseling, if they got uh, job training, if they finished their high school diplomas or had family counseling, that they would, when they did get out of jail, they would not likely recidivate. So the idea was to uh, provide a decent space and good care and then hope that that's the only time they would ever be in the jail. So that worked well. The sheriff came back to the commission again before my time and let them know again that capacity uh, was uh, going to become an issue. Uh, more funding was uh, given to the reentry program for more staffing. So the program grew, recidivism came down, but still over the years, the capacity was uh, stretched. And particularly by about 2015 or so, it was, it was clear that we were beginning to have some real capacity problems. We were having to house some of the inmates in out-of-county jails, which is not only it's hard when they're not in our own county because they're far away from their families and they're far away from their lawyers and they're not receiving the kind of the rehabilitative help that they could get if they were in our reentry program. You know, they might get a television or a Bible study, but not 
uh, not counseling, not um, help with you know, education and training and all of that. So, so, uh, so in 2015, my commission began to wake up to the idea that the, the, the projections were coming true, that the facility was reaching a point where we would have to begin looking at, at extra capacity. But at the same time, I'll always remember the, the, the time, you know, sitting down with the sheriff when he was making, you know, talking to me personally about um, issues that were coming up with overcrowding. And, and I, I'm willing to talk about jail expansion anymore without also taking on the need for vastly increased and improved mental health care in our community, including a crisis center that we thought at the time would really decrease the, the, the number of people in our jail because, you know, uh, jails and prisons have become places where folks with serious mental illness sometimes end up and they shouldn't be there. So he agreed and uh, it cost us, it cost the process about an extra year because we backed up and started over and started working with um, Bert Nash and the hospital and other agencies in town to, and, and the community, lots of community meetings, uh, to see what would be involved in um, creating a crisis center and all the services surrounding that. That has really evolved dramatically since those early days. So it, it's always been this kind of, you know, it's been a, a complicated journey and it's required really the breadth and depth of some huge issues in the community. But that's, that's where we got, um, we used a lot of consultants along the way, both local and out of state, and both on the criminal justice side and uh, the behavioral health side, and sometimes merged people, there are specialists out there who are experts in behavioral health and incarceration. So we leaned on those folks a lot to get us where we were comfortable moving on with the conversation. I, I really think it's important to say, and I should have said this from the outset, again, every county has to have a sheriff, every county has to have a jail, every jail has to meet the state statute. In Kansas, our statute obligates us to provide safe uh, housing for the people in our care and, the, and rehabilitation. I think I did say that, I'm sorry, but so we have, we're obligated to provide that and it becomes a human rights issue. It's, it's really, we take it seriously that the people in our jail need to be respected, be cared for, given safe shelter and um, hopefully a good outcome when, when they get out. Great, thank you. And, and, and so were there any, to any, any extent, a, an effort to look at not just alternatives to jail expansion uh, that include the crisis center and behavioral health or mental health initiatives, but also the, the reasons that some of the inmates were incarcerated and the sort of, and why, or so basically why they were kept there and going from there to say, maybe they don't need to be here. To an extent, was there an attempt to look at the reasons why the folks that were in the jail at the time and look at whether they should be in the jail Basically, any any attempt to say maybe we can release a few of them and get back to capacity, or in, in that discussions that you were you were having. Oh yeah, no, I, there was a lot of effort along that way, and I think that's one of the, you know, unfortunate narratives out there is that the county uh, has only been interested in growing its jail and not not understanding who's in the jail and trying to get as many people out as as possible. And the fact is that. Very, very early on in the conversation, we realized that we could 
we needed to understand who was there, why they were there, um, how long they were there, why some folks, you know, seem to have it, you know, quite long uh, time there and, and seem to have slow processes. So we, we did hire uh, consultants along the way who helped us uh, understand the population that was there that, and kind of differentiate uh, issues and, you know, or things like missing a court appearance or, you know, for, for lack of proper representation or, you know, or, or just maybe overzealous policing where when they could have been given a citation, they were arrested. Or people who were exhibiting their mental health issue to the point where a police officer would bring them to the jail um, because the shelter was full or because the hospital wasn't deemed to be very receptive to people with um, serious mental illness. So no, we really did study that because we wanted to find ways to minimize the number of people who were being brought to the jail. Um, you know, it's, it's nobody, nobody wants to build a bigger jail, especially in this, in the moment of history that we're in, you know, it is, frankly, the opposite of what folks want to do, but there's also the, you know, the obligation to house people safely, and so we, you know, we had, we held that tension uh, the whole time, and so we did develop programs to get those low-level folks out, you know, but now half of the folks who are, are booked into the jail are out within 24 hours, and half of those people are out within three hours, and the rest of the folks who remain go through a really rigorous interview and mental health examination to see if they are eligible for pretrial release or house arrest or diversion uh, or special courts like health, uh, a drug court or a behavioral health court. And, and because of those efforts that we did concurrently uh, using both local and outside experts to build those programs, we now have a thousand people who have been in that program and are not, we did not stay in jail uh, while they were waiting for their trial. And, and on a daily basis now, we actually have more people uh, waiting for their trial outside of jail than who are inside jail. So we, we've worked really hard and have spent millions of dollars adding capacity and staff and building programs to try and get as many people out of the jail as possible. And, and that effort is really now continuing remarkably well since COVID started. And I would just say we, we created a criminal justice coordinating council, which is invaluable in this work, uh, staffed it with professional and criminal justice uh, reform. So we have you know, a lot of capacity to do this hard work and, and really understand where our gaps are. And there are gaps. We know we have issues in, uh, in terms of racial inequities and gaps in places in our criminal justice system where things could be uh, smoother or faster, more sensitive in the people's needs. And, and we're working on those gaps as well, using data all along the way. Yeah. And so on that, on that point, I think to, to some extent, and, and the commission, from my understanding, is just one component of, of, how the, of determining how the jail is used and working towards uh, keeping keeping the numbers low and, and keeping track of that information, was there? And again, I'd, I'd, I'm not trying to mischaracterize anything, or I'm just trying to get at the sort of concerns that are out there. Where was the failure in terms of having a coordinated effort with all the organizations, city and county commissions, and sheriff's office and DA's office, and making sure having a concerted effort in keeping the numbers low? 
would you characterize as their failure in that communication or in that those relationships? Well, I would say the effort uh, has not been a failure. It's been a pretty uh, successful effort in just a few short years to to have you know regularly anywhere from 150 to 180 people any day uh, in those programs who otherwise would be sitting in the jail. So. And they're getting uh, services. They're they're not paying a dime for being under supervision. Any other county, most counties, charge people for the for the privilege of being under supervision. We we pay for uh, detoxing and drug rehabilitation. We pay for um, well, let's just uh, we have tried to remove every possible barrier to someone's success because we don't want them in the jail and we don't want them to come back to the jail. So, and on the other side of it, we uh, both inside of the jail, but, but wow, outside of the jail, all throughout the county, we've improved behavioral health services dramatically so that when someone was in crisis, now when they go to the emergency department, they meet a, a whole team of people, including peer support, which is hugely important to help them through that moment in the hospital. And they can, if they need to, they can go immediately to Burt Nash and see a crisis counselor, whereas before they would be given you know, a slip of paper and a phone number. Now you can get an appointment at Burt Nash within uh, one or two or three days, whereas it used to take one or two or three months. Um, we have more psychiatry, we have more coordinated care, a team of eight agencies who, and, and, and a connection to the housing authority. So we have a lot of effort um, to find adequate rapid housing for folks now, including wraparound service housing. So. So, and, 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 you know, and I hopefully we'll talk about the behavioral health campus a little bit too, but I mean, that's the thing that's been discouraging, frankly, is that there's a narrative that, that the county, again, that, that all we care about is putting people in jail or we're, uh, we're making money uh, as a for-profit prison or, or we, you know, we somehow are not interested in, in doing right by the people in our community who are really struggling. And in fact, in, in just four or five years time, we've, you know, our, our, our budget at the county really reflects this change because when I came on to the county, um, expenditures on social services and human services were about fourth in line on the county budget. And now they're second. Um, we spent around $70 million on human and ser uh, social services and about $7 million of those dollars are, are new as of about 2016-17, and they are directed specifically at behavioral health care countywide. And then other, you know, about almost $6 million on special housing, and then a lot, a lot of money to improve our criminal justice system. So we've made, we've made a lot of progress, and I think where there's been difficulty or friction has been when, um, it's sometimes it's hard to sort facts from fiction or, you know, kind of ideology from necessary government process and, you know, trying to be welcoming, but also trying to be um, factual. It's, it has been tough and I've been sorry to see uh, friction, but in the midst of it all, um, we have made tremendous progress and are continued along that line. Um, we continue to reach out to various justice-related uh, agencies that are data-driven that can help us keep making improvements. And our criminal justice system itself, which you're right, it, the county commission, honestly, is, is kind of outside of the loop of the criminal justice system. All we do is fund the jail. 
but we have convened everyone in the criminal justice system from the police to the DA, to the defense attorneys, to the municipal judge and the community corrections supervising department, you know, all of the people we can gather to see where our faults are, see where our gaps are and do right by the community and do right by the people who either come to the jail rightly or wrongly, or the people who go to the emergency department and who need um, special help. We've added a lot of services and provided a lot better options for people along the way. Difficult processes and hard communication sometimes. And we haven't always been as gracious as we needed to be, but I think we have been open to hard conversations, but that's how we want to be. With that, and so some of that, in, your, in response, some things came to my mind, and, and hopefully you can address this. Is, uh, so I watched your recent forum with the Justice Matters. So one of their topics was the utilization of, of uh, the services of a group called the Vera Institute. I'm wondering if, uh, so I know you seemed open, but uh, could not fully, com- uh, I guess, commit to utilizing their, their services. And I just wanted to see uh, if you wanted to, or if you, if you can, expand on your, your caution against use, using, using their services. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes back to trying to make the best use of taxpayer dollars and the best use of all of people's time and energy who are involved in this work. The first time Justice Matters came forward with Vera for kind of um, their, their, their basic product, which is an overview of the criminal justice system. I've read their reports from, from different communities, including Oklahoma City and you know, and, and really much of what they recommend uh, at that time, we were already underway doing, not to say that we've done everything, I and mean, there's certainly more we can do, but, you know, through, through the consultants we used, Dr. Margaret Saverson and the Husky Company and uh, Dr. Alan Beck and the uh, Stepping Up folks with the Council of State Governments and, um, you know, NAMI and, and the National Association of Counties. I mean, the, there's a long list of folks with expertise that we used to, you know, to make progress. And so Vera is not the only institute out there that, that um, works on justice matters and de-incarceration. And this, the new offer is kind of in the same, same vein. We have uh, essentially the same work that they want to do is being done by a variety of, of uh, efforts, that studies that we're in, organizations that we've been invited to participate in. We're about to do a, um, you know, full, I have to look at, I have to look at what it's called. It's, 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 it's a full uh, detailed study of the entire process, the steps along the way to understand where our gaps are. That's, that's being undertaken this year. Um, we're working with just a, a long list of organizations that, um, you know, that, that are providing us the information that, you know, that shows us where our, where our processes or where we, you know, need to pull up our socks for sure. And, you know, uh, the, the, the offer of a free study from Vera to essentially do what is being done and, and their assertion that we don't either have good data or our data is unavailable or inaccessible because of old IT, you know, honestly, what some of the issue there is that we have lacked a data analyst who has been able to pull um, sets of data that have been 
really deeply meaningful. Um, we have that person now, and we have um, pretty robust ways of getting uh, two various sets of data. But, but you know, the, the Spillman system that they use, that they're committed to at this point. But, uh, but you know, I would say the decision actually in the, in the end is not up to the commission. Um, the decision is up to, to use Vera. Uh, the decision is actually up to the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council. And it was they who a while back said that they were not, not going to proceed with that Vera invitation. You know, I suspect that that Justice Matters will keep off offering that, and Vera will as well. And I, you know, would think that the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council will review that invitation again, and it may very well be that that this, you know, next time they look at it, they'll feel like it's a valuable thing to do, and and that and that it can slip right in there with um, all the other work that's going on. I don't know that it is going to add more impactful information. I, I know that it is a sticking point with Justice Matters that Vera has not seemed like a favored uh, organization, but the fact is we were working with just so many organizations and they tend to be government related and not ideologically driven and not funded by particular take on the issue. But that's not to say that that invitation won't be accepted. It, it is up though to the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council and they're a great group of people. They may, we've had new additions to that group and they may be very interested in that study. So we'll wait to see what they say. Thank you. And, and so just to, I guess, sum up that, that response is, is on the one hand, you believe that the current way uh, ways of uh, extracting the data in the county and the the methods or the policies that you've passed in response to the data have more or less either been in line with some of the recommendations that, that Vera has recommended and two, that the current services you're relying on to extract the data are more than adequate enough to justify continuing with those methods rather than or going to another another institute or organization to do that on your behalf? Well, I, no, I, sh I, I mean, I want to be clear on that. You know, I'm not the one with expertise in this area. Uh, now, now the, our criminal justice coordinator is Mike Brower and his data analyst is um, Dr. Matt Cravens. And, um, and the criminal justice coordinating council is made up, I think now of over 20 people, both criminal justice system partners, but also members from the community, um, folks from KU who have special expertise in this, and with particular representation from people of color and consumers of our services. So folks who have been in the jail or who have been in, in our, you know, in the mental health or behavioral health system. So, so I trust those people. And honestly, if they, if they look at the Vera offer and feel that it brings value I think that that's fine. I wish that folks could appreciate that there are other really good and trustworthy organizations who do data-driven work, whose work is, you know, should also be respected and desired. And, and so that's, I mean, I think that's where, you know, where maybe some of the conflict is, is it's, if we've chosen a lot of consultants to work with, we didn't choose Vera. And I think that that has been, you know, that's just been an issue, but that won't necessarily always be the case. 
hopefully as we are able to pull, you know, we have, an, we have improved data analysis now because we have, frankly, a more um, capable analyst who's just doing remarkable things um, very quickly that we weren't able to get out um, earlier. So I have confidence that the work will continue if we add consultants, subtract consultants. It, that'll be a CJCC Criminal Justice Coordinating Council um, decision. And generally the commission supports their work. Um, we really stand ready to help them get their work done. Okay. And so just to clarify, the CJCC had not only, so their power is not just to recommend a particular decision, but they also have approval power in terms of whether to take on take in Vera's uh, services. Well, what they 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 don't have power to to enact that. But what we ask them to do is is come to you know study an issue or study an offer like the one from Vera, and come to some consensus on their council of what they would advise us to do, and then they bring that to the county commission, and we you know we receive their recommendation. And gosh, I don't know when when we've received a recommendation that we haven't agreed with, funded, complied with, encouraged, you know, more work, or sometimes I think we've sent something back for more consideration if, if it's clear that we need more time or more data. But um, we, that, that council was created to bring expertise around the table, bring diverse voices to the table, and really do deep dives to try and find ways for us to serve our county better and, and serve those folks who are, you know, in contact with law enforcement or who are having, you know, struggles in the jail or out of the jail. I mean, that's, that's the work they're doing. And, and they've, they've accomplished a lot. They've done a lot of studying. I know that there is some frustration in the community that the time for studying is over and the time for action is now. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I feel both of those things. Um, sometimes we're so especially in Lawrence, we're so good at um, academic approaches and studying and, you know, deeply understanding, which is important, but sometimes we also need to move. We're, on the one hand, continuing that deep, the effort at deep understanding. On the other hand, we're, we're also um, giving that or that group the freedom uh, and permission to really move on some of what they've learned. And we've created a new, actually, I shouldn't say we, it was um, with the help of the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council and the chief judge and others in the criminal justice system. They've created a new kind of inner working group called the Criminal Justice uh, Data Collaborative. And that group they're doing a deep dive into their own practices and how they either align or are not aligned to kind of, you know, find ways that we can improve our services, improve, improve efficiency, get people out of the jail. That group is, is moving rapidly with pretty radical reforms, radical for our community at least, you know, and, 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 I think will make a real difference. So we have that kind of long-term studying going on and we have some short-term um, real action, action-oriented work going on as well. Great, thank you, Nancy. I wanted to sort of 
move into a discussion about that may include the, the discussion about the uh, the behavioral center, uh, but also uh, this this is more of a broader topic about uh, a top uh, an issue that's been ongoing for not just our county but counties around the United States, namely the uh, sort of rise of the homeless and houseless populations in in our communities. And I know that's 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 been another sort of issue or topic uh, that our our community is concerned with. The question here is how uh, how do you plan to respond to these one of the the disparities the, the disparities that are not just on racial grounds but also on uh, grounds of gender and also of, of socioeconomic grounds fixating I guess we can sort of focus on on the homeless here uh, in ways that avoid uh, incarceration. Well, I think we have really adopted um, that housing first principle at the county and also a program that R- Renee Cool, who's the director of the Lawrence Community Shelter, brought to us. She's, she's only been here for about a year, maybe. She has um, helped us understand the importance of, of a, you know, the built for zero concept where you really intensively focus on each homeless person and review their the services they're utilizing or not and um, just digging down relentlessly until that person uh, has is in the services they need and has a roof overhead. So uh, we are we have really shifted as much as possible in a short amount of time to that housing first model, rapid rehousing, you know, so getting as many people out of the homeless shelter and into apartments uh, or back or back to their families, you know, reconnecting people with their families or with with um, folks that they're safe to live with. We have, you know, on the behavioral health campus, we've created a pretty large, great big house that contains about 12 spaces for folks to live for nine months to a year or so as they're kind of stabilizing from um, a crisis, um, getting connected to services. We've added 10 units of permanent housing on that same campus with all wraparound services. We've we brought in artists helping the homeless so that we have a, a house in Lawrence now that houses, think about a dozen men who have come out of the reentry program or who have come out of their drug rehabilitation programs and are getting um, kind of special, special attention and careful housing through a marvelous program that came uh, out of Kansas City. Took on some housing that the Salvation Army was about to drop. Took on every year for quite a while now. We've given quite a bit of money to the housing authority to for them to move families out of the community shelter and into homes with wraparound services, and that's been remarkably successful. So, so you know, I would just say that we we have a real dedication to that housing first principle. We've spent in since 2009, between 2019 and through 2021, I added it all up, we will have spent over $5 million on, uh, you know, specifically on housing the most vulnerable folks. So people who are really difficult to get under a roof uh, through the traditional um, ways because they have health issues or, or substance abuse issues. and. So that's kind of our, because the county is really um, by state statute dedicated, we, we have to provide uh, mental health and we're, you know, Douglas County is really dedicated to that population. I mean, we have really uh, worked hard to work with 
all the agencies in town who have to do with housing and especially with the community shelter and with the housing authority. So, and also we created this um, service called MyRC so that resource, um, resource Connect, it's a way for all of the folks who touch those uh, folks who are homeless. We work with uh, Bert Nash and DECA and the hospital and the police force, all sorts of folks. And as they gather information or as they, as they come into contact with homeless people or, or people who are really struggling, now we've got case coordinators uh, from Heartland RADAC who, who will pick those people up and help actually walk them to their appointment or drive them to their detox place, even if it's um, out of city. Um, we have peer support folks to support those people. I mean, really, we have, compared to most communities in Kansas, we have quite robust services set up now for us specifically for that population. You know, but we're lacking landlords. We're working on that. Mm. And, and it's very expensive to build new housing, but we, we're doing that and we're finding um, as many people and agencies as we can to, to kind of work collaboratively around that issue. All of that work and work inside the jail has helped us bring that folks with serious mental illness who are inside the jail. We've brought that population down by 56%. Great. Thank you, Nancy. And, and, and so I, I wanted to, I guess, get your quick, whether it's an update or, uh, or thoughts on, because there's a, uh, a center of sorts that, that's going to be dedicated to mental health and, and that was set to break ground soon. Do you have any updates on that you'd like to share on that? And because I know there was some concern about, the the timeline of of the expansion being coming before uh, the breaking ground of of that center, right? Well, that that's been an ongoing saga. Again, you know, the first i the first mention of bringing a crisis center was way back when, sitting across the table from the sheriff, saying we weren't going to talk about a jail expansion without talking about mental health and a crisis center. So. That's five years ago. In the meantime, you know, we held um, you know an awful lot of community forums. We we visited San Antonio and a, a lot of other places with crisis centers, and mm-hmm. came home and had the community do uh, charrettes and town halls. And ultimately, it was kind of funny. Ultimately, the community plus some folks from Burt Nash in the county and an architectural firm put a design together that would have everybody's hopes and dreams, but it would have also been the largest crisis center in the nation and would have been massively overbuilt and uh, impossible to sustain. So that facility has been back to the drawing board a few times. When the vote in May of 2018 failed, the majority of that money was actually dedicated to behavioral health services and the crisis center. So when that vote failed, that took away a million dollars a year from behavioral health services and the crisis center. So that caused us to go back to the drawing board again because a million dollars is a lot of money uh, and, and had been planned for. So we, so we downsized the facility again, kind of downsized expectations. But in the meantime, we've learned a lot more. And what we, the most important thing we learned was that having the crisis center alone really wasn't going to be that helpful because without housing, without kind of robust services to coordinate with that crisis center, like prevention services and treatment services and things that take a person beyond that crisis moment, and then having a place for them to to live, 
you know, without housing and those other services, the crisis center was just a super expensive, another set of doors for people to cycle in and out of, kind of like a jail. So what's happened over all those years is that we um, have a crisis center that is right-sized now. We'll have a higher acuity of care than we originally thought is uh, going to be operated in partnership with Lawrence Memorial Hospital and Burt Nash and accountable to the county with taxpayer dollars. And it will, we will break ground on that later this year, hopefully in the fall. And, but along, you know, and, and so the newest part of that whole vision is that just to the um, east of that crisis center uh, are these two housing projects that are actually the exteriors are being painted now. They're almost finished. They'll probably be lived in before the crisis finishes, the crisis center is finished, but you can drive by them and see there's been tremendous progress with their construction. They provide much needed space for people who need transitional housing with, with lots of supportive care and then permanent housing with lots of supportive care. Won't make much of a difference because they're, you know, because there's so much need and they're only, you know, small in number, but they are uh, representative of our commitment to the issue that, that we need housing for people who you know, who will almost always fail no matter how hard we try or how many people are assigned to them if they don't have a house, if they don't have a roof over their head and a door they can lock uh, and feel secure. You know, they're just not going to thrive. And so, so the Behavioral Health Campus is, is kind of the newest addition to our efforts and um, the funding is secure. The, I'm kind of surprised I don't know, it must be a narrative that's happening out there in, the, in those circles, um, but the, the budget for that is secure. The county has capacity with budget to shore up any losses from a decline in sales tax. And, and partially because we're not uh, going to expand the jail, so the money that was reserved for that is now um, available for these other uses. You know, the money that uh, was mentioned that, that was cut out by the state, that money was not critical to the building of that facility. It was, in a way, kind of icing on the cake to help us do even more. So that's an ongoing story. And really, that campus is, uh, when it's complete, will be unlike anything uh, any other county in Kansas has. Um, and I don't mean to be bragging, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reflect how serious <laughs> we are at real help for people in real need with the right size facility and, and helping them stay home, stay in their own community to get the crisis care they need and then be able to thrive, hopefully, with ongoing care and treatment uh, in a community that really wants them to be able to stay home. You know, we, we do have these commitments. We're working, we've pulled all the social services uh, agencies together and a lot of nonprofits. We're meeting regularly with them. That never used to happen. You know, so that collaborative that's happening between places like the Willow and uh, the shelter and I mean, they, they meet regularly and they're all finding out uh, where their gaps are and where they can help each other and where they need funding or where they have funding, but they just need to be more um, plugged into each other. So 
you know, over time, that's going to make a huge difference as well. And that hadn't happened until just a couple of years ago. And that happened at the county's urging. So, and, and with a staff, our assistant county administrator is um, leading that charge. So, you know, the narrative that we haven't done the work of um, trying to get people out of jail and haven't done the work of providing you know, more services in mental health and substance abuse. It's, it's just not true. We, are, we have moved mountains to try and get a lot of uh, those services out there. There's more work to do, for sure. And getting at the root causes of all of this. I mean, I, I intend to, you know, shift my focus on youth and children, you know, affordable child care programs for, you know, children who aren't in public school, who are, who are young and need to be in decent programs for education and, and um, you know, enrichment. Youth who, we have youth engagement now through our behavioral health work, a thing called uh, Engage Douglas County. We've, we've created a youth board now of kids from all over the county who are creating a peer support system for a way to help each other with substance use or depression. We have uh, we've identified, work, working with all the superintendents in Douglas County, the four di school districts, we've identified w which schools, which areas are having serious issues with uh, mental illness and, and serious issues with suicidal ideation. And so we need to focus on those kids and not just in school, but outside of school, 24 hours a day. So I think that is an area, youth and children, that we need to dive deep into next. We're, we're at the surface right now, but there's so much work to do and that will get at some of the root issues that lead people when they're older to that crisis center or to that jail. We would rather they not go there for sure. Well, Nancy, uh, before I let you go officially, I was wondering if there's anything you would definitely like our listeners to take away uh, from our discussion today. Covered a lot, but uh, just wanted to give you a chance to get out what you think is, is uh, essential in, in terms of what people get out of this discussion. Well, I think, I think what the essential thing I think is to, you know, keep, be encouraged that the county is actually working hard to uh, do the things the community has asked us to do. We heard it when people said we need uh, find ways to get people out of the jail, and we have, and we're working on more. And we heard it when people said we need better mental health services, and 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 we've done that, you know, in a remarkably short time, and and with the generosity of Douglas County taxpayers, you know, who passed a quarter cent sales tax, and and I think it's important for folks to do some research on that if they if they are are discouraged that that they don't see the they don't see that the evidence of that i would just ask them to go to our county website and look under behavioral health initiatives or go to the criminal justice coordinating council website and, and learn about all the efforts that have been made and and i think you know and more personally i would just say you know we're in this really remarkable moment of crisis just unprecedented crisis of the, the COVID-19 pandemic and a recession or even depression uh, coming our way for probably years. And, and, then, and then just this, the raw 
energy of a nation that recognizes that we've got to address our racism. It's just, it's a moment of, of pain and suffering and angst and, but also a remarkable moment of change and opportunity and, and, and creative possibilities. And so, but in, in terms of local government, it's going to be a challenge for budget and for, you know, for, for keeping our community, keeping our small towns and our small businesses alive, you know, in the midst of this very traumatic time. And so I think, I think this is a moment that requires some experience, some government experience, you know, understanding how the budget works, understanding what counties can do and can't do, how we work with other organizations, how we work with the state, even work with the federal government. Um, there's a lot to local government work. It's, it's hard and you have to be willing to make hard decisions. And you have to be willing to change your mind when um, the facts on the ground change. And uh, my record is one that shows um, all of that. And, and there's, you know, besides all of that, I mean, we've talked an awful lot through the campaign about, and, and rightly so, the jail and racism and you know, the need for dramatic um, reform. And I'm glad we're talking about that. But man, we've got to talk about climate change. You know, yeah. we've got to talk about our environment. We've got to talk about poverty and equity in food, in employment, in opportunity. There's a lot more going on in our community that needs our time and attention. And it's, it's not, you know, we can, you know, all the lovely words will get us nowhere. You know, we need action. We need, we need to re redirect some of our money and, and get, it, get on with it. Um, because people are suffering and our community can do better. And I wish, I wish we were including those issues in our campaign conversation because this isn't a one issue job. Um, it's a, for me, it's an absolutely full-time job. It's taking everything I have and I, and I love it. I'm glad for that opportunity and I take it really seriously, but it is about so much more than the county jail and say no. It's, sometimes it's about saying yes to many, many things and then figuring out how to do it. Um, and I worry about the things we're not talking about that impact everyone in the county um, and the generations to come. So that's not a very inspirational place to leave this conversation, but I think it's important. Uh, it's an important part of what we need to acknowledge. No, I, I, I agree with that, that sentiment that we should, as important as uh, these topics we've, dis we've discussed, in, not only in this discussion, but in uh, elsewhere, not to say that they aren't important, they won't require our, our attention going forward, but we, there are other uh, concerns that we should also keep in mind and have as just, just as much of a fervor to, to tackle um, as we have this one. And and Nancy, with, with that being said, I, I, I'd like to, whatever happens in this election, have you on again to discuss the, those issues that, that you just mentioned as well. Um, because this, these, all of these are ongoing, ongoing discussions or discussions that require uh, ongoing attention and, and conversation. I'm excited to hear you say that because I would so welcome the chance and it does not campaign related. It's too late for that, but right. gosh, the chance to talk about these other things because we're actually doing remarkable stuff on climate mitigation and, uh, you know, the use of soil, healthy soil and the way we treat it, making a real difference. 
I mean, there's so much good news out there, you know, so I would love to be, uh, I would love to have that other conversation. For sure. Well, whatever happens of the, of the, of the election, we'll definitely have that conversation. And because here, my main or our main sort of I, approach to some of these issues is that it, it shouldn't, ma- politics ideology shouldn't matter. Some of these things are just plain and simple uh, matters of justice and, and doing the right thing. Um, and so we definitely want to bring bring attention to them. So yes, definitely a uh, future, future conversation uh, will, will need to take place. Yeah, and for, so for those who are interested in, in learning more about uh, Nancy and, and the other issues that she wants to, plans to tackle while in office, uh, you can reach those issues and, and her platform at nancythelman.com. Again, that's www.nancythelman.com. With that, Nancy, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and having this, this, this conversation with me and answering all my questions. <laughs> thank you so much, David. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to give full answers to some really complicated questions. It's a pleasure. And with that, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode of Lawrence Talks.